Let's get our Bibles open. We're in John chapter 5. One of the things that I've heard in uh, my days as a youth pastor, I've heard it a couple times, come up a couple times, is the idea that the Bible reads like Chinese to me. In other words, I, I just don't, like I try to read it, you know, I've, I've maybe put a little time and thought into opening its pages and trying to get a little something out of it. I just, I just don't get it. I'm not very good at it. And um, so I want to start by talking about that for just a minute because that's, that's a good realization and it's one that I want to be sensitive to. Um, so I, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my high school self. Um, I come from smart people, you know, two parents who both were doctors, they know their stuff. Some genetic makeup in here, you know, that I have some of those, those genes. Not all of them, some of them. Um, and my mom was very, she, she would drive me like a good mother to, to be my best. Um, and, and one of the things she wanted me to be in is all the, cl- the advanced classes and things like that. But um, try as I might to get into the advanced language arts classes, it was definitely not my gifting. And one of the areas that I really struggled with was reading comprehension. I don't know how many of you, you know, you guys took the whatever tests recently and you get your scores back. Um, I, you know, you, you got the paragraph on the side of the paper and you got to answer the questions on what you just read. Just terrible at it. And, and I, you know, they would assign reading and I kind of had the idea that like if my eyes touched the words in some way, then I'd done the reading. But then you'd ask what the reading was about and I'm no clue, no idea. So all that to say, I get it. Like, I understand these are skills that need to be developed, and it's not just natural that we open the Bible and read it. And even though, like, so much of the application in church is read your Bibles and pray, it's not, doesn't mean it's easy. It's not an easy thing to do, okay? But then let's flip it around. Let's think about an analogy. You know, think about if you're out in the desert and you're dying of thirst, Okay? And someone says, there is a spring at the top of that hill, and if you get to it, there is water there for you to drink. Now, think about that scenario. Are you going to get to that hill and be like, but there's, like, there's no path. I don't, like, I'm going to have to like, walk through bushes to get there. And then there's like this part where there's this rock, and I'm, I might have to actually like, exert energy and sweat to climb up that rock to get to the hill. I, I just, I'm not sure it's worth it. I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and die of thirst. That's silly, right, that you would do that. But God's word is that spring, right? God's word is that living water. Jesus is the living water, and the word teaches us about him. And so sometimes we're like, well, the Bible's just like, it's Chinese to me, I don't get it. I, you know, I'm just going to thrive off of kind of stuff that you say, Nick, and stuff my parents say, but so it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that way because we're all starving people. We're all, you know, thirsty people who need the water here. So all that to say, I want to encourage us to be people who say it's worth it. It's worth it for me to sit down and read something and think about it. Now, I say all of that because today's passage when, when I read it, and this is not, you know, to boast or to set myself apart from you guys, but obviously I've got like 20 more years on you, and I've got a degree from, uh, uh, you know, my bachelor's degree, I've got two master's degrees. 
I sit down and I read John chapter 5, and the first time I read through it, I'm just like, what? Uh, I don't get it. Jesus, what are you trying to say? All right? So if that's what it sounds like when we read it today, you're not alone. So what do you do then? Do you say, Bible, I just don't get it. I'll just let other people tell me what it says. Or you come back to it and you, you, you start plowing the path and you start climbing the rocks and you're saying, I want to, I got to figure this out. Like I got, this is Jesus talking. I need to know what he's saying and understand it. So I'm going to read it again, read it again and read it again and read it again. And I'm going to start underlining. I'm going to say, oh, he said that part there and that part there. And maybe those are connected and what's happening here. I need to figure this out. So if I could leave a legacy behind in this youth group when I, you know, whenever it is I, I leave, one of the legacies that I'd love to leave behind is that we are people who dig into the word because we need to understand it. We realize that this is life and we have to get it, okay? So today we're going to do that. We're going to do that in our groups. Um, and uh, before we do that, though, let's get our bearings. So one of the things that's going to help us in understanding Jesus is trying to figure out what's going on. Why is Jesus talking? If you guys look at your Bible, uh, if you're in chapter 5, Jesus talks from verse 19 of chapter 5 all the way to the end of the chapter. So this is one big long thing that Jesus says here, okay? So let's get our bearings really quick. Who is at small groups on Wednesday? Raise your hand. You're a small group. Okay, so you're at small groups. Chapter 5, we hear about a healing, okay? And who can just kind of, do you guys remember the healing at the pool on the Sabbath? Anyone just real quick, like two sentence, what happened? Yeah, Elise? Guy is paralyzed from birth, and Jesus decides to heal him on the spot on the Sabbath. Okay. Guy is something. I don't know if it says paralyzed. Something's wrong with him, right? He's, does it say paralyzed? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. You're doing a great job. I don't mean to be. Right. So all, all over the, the, this area, there's people who are blind, lamed, and paralyzed. This guy has one of those probably. Okay. 38 years he's been this way. Okay. So we don't know if it's from birth, but 38 years. Jesus walks up to him. Hey, get up. Pick up your bed. Go. You're healed. All right. Bada boom, bada bing. Guy does it. Jewish leaders come to him, and, and what do they say? Who did this to you? We want to know who's doing these things. And the guy's like, I don't know. And uh, then later he runs into Jesus, and Jesus says to him, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And we talked about in our small groups about why is Jesus doing miracles? Is it just to like do cheap tricks, just to show, like, look what I can do. Pshoo, pshoo, pshoo. No, he's doing it so that people will believe in him, right? And this guy, he doesn't really get the point. He just goes right back to the Jewish leaders and he says, there he is, he's the guy. That's the guy who did this to me, right? So look in verse 16. We're going to start there. This is setting up Jesus's speech here. So he, it says, and this was why the Jews, and whenever it says the Jews, we're talking about religious leaders, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. You guys remember what the Sabbath is? It's the day when Jews weren't supposed to do any work. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. 
Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, quick side point. Do you guys see, how many of you, you have the ESV there. Is there like a little heading between verse 17 and 18 that says Jesus is equal with God? Okay, that's fine. Who put that there? Some translator in his office somewhere. Well, actually in Wheaton, because that's where Crossways, right? Not John. And these headings, the reason they're, why are they there? You guys know? Why would we stick those in our Bibles? Just to, yeah, yeah, help us kind of get our bearings. You're flipping through, trying to find what story you're on, right? Who put the number 17 before verse 17 and number 18 after verse verse 18? Did John do that? Nope, John didn't do that either. Okay, so why is this important for us to know? Well, sometimes when we're reading our Bibles, we get, we we stop where it tells us to stop. Like chapter 4 ends, we're going to stop here. But John didn't put chapter 5 and 4 where they are. This is someone who came much later writing these things. So sometimes it can mess up our flow of thought. And if you look at verse 17 and verse 18, clearly they go together. All right, verse 16, here's why the Jews are persecuting Jesus. Verse 18, here's why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Right? These are continued thoughts. It's escalating. Something's happening here. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my father is working. And then verse 18, it tells us what they understood Jesus to be saying. This is why they were seeking to kill him, because he was breaking the Sabbath. He was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that's referring to verse 17. So that heading kind of blocks, messes us up a little bit. So just know that, okay? So what's happening here? Well, what's happening here is... Let's, let's think about this answer that Jesus gives real quick, and then we're going to get into groups. My father is working until now, and I am working. We need some help with that. Like God gets his briefcase and his cell phone, and God goes to work, so I'm going to go to work. No, that's not what he's saying. The issue is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so for Jewish theologians, they had to think about this. They're like, okay, God is perfect. God gave us his laws to show us what we're supposed to do. One of those laws is don't work on the Sabbath. But certain things happen on the Sabbath that only God does. Like people are born on the Sabbath. How many of you, you, know, you probably don't know, it was, you know if you were born on a Saturday? Yeah, we got one, okay. So Nathan, Nathan here, he, he broke the Sabbath by being born on the Sabbath, Okay. And in reality, for a Jewish theologian, they're saying, actually, God broke the Sabbath because God allowed Nathan to be born on a Saturday. God was working on the Sabbath. Also, people die on the Sabbath, and God judges them. That's more work. So Jewish theologians are like, how does this work? And they came to the conclusion, well, because God runs the whole universe, he can work on the Sabbath. That's the idea. And so Jesus takes that idea, and he says, okay, God's working on the Sabbath. My father is working on the Sabbath, so I'm working on the Sabbath. That's huge! Because basically they've come to this conclusion that any human being, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, but only God can. And Jesus says, my father's doing it and I can do it. So that's how they go from Jesus' weird answer about working on the Sabbath to he thinks he's equal with God. Does that make sense? That's kind of how we get there. Okay? So the Jews draw two conclusions from this. And we see 
Jesus responding to both of these in our passage. The first one is that Jesus thinks he's equal with God. And the second thing that they're assuming is that Jesus is just spitting out this claim from his own authority, that he's make, it's a self-made claim, right? There's no, no one is backing up Jesus to make this claim. Jesus is just this wacko who's walking around saying he's equal with God and he has no proof of this. These are the two issues that Jesus is about to respond to, that he's equal with God and how that works, and is this a self-made claim? Is there anything that backs up this claim? That's super important if we're going to understand what Jesus says now, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you guys split up into groups, and I'm going to give half of you one passage and the other half another passage, okay? So cut you right down the middle here, okay? So between Colin, Michaela, everybody on this side. All right, okay, you guys got it? Um, you guys on the left are going to be John 5, 19. Everybody look at verse 19 in your Bible. You see it there. And then to verse 30. Do you see verse 30? Okay, do you remember what I already said about the heading messing things up? Okay, does verse 30 come at the, after a little heading there in your Bible? Okay, so don't let that mess you up. If you, if you read it all the way through, it's clear that verse 30 is probably best with the part that goes before it, okay? You guys on this side of the room, you guys are going to be looking at verse 31 to the end of the chapter. And here's all I want you to do. I want you to use one technique to understand scripture. That technique is repetition, repeating words. So you're going to study the passage, Aaron, I'm also, you're going to study the passage that I gave you, and all I want you to do is look for words that are repeating, and from those repeating words, try to ask the question, what is Jesus answering? What's he trying to tell us here? Does that make sense? Okay, so you guys, you can get into groups of like three, four, five, whatever you want on this side. You guys, same thing on this side. And jump into your passages, I'll give you, I'm going to give you like eight, nine minutes to do this, which means you shouldn't be done in 30 seconds. Remember the, the, the analogy, you're, you're climbing up to the spring, it's going to take some work. You're going to have to read it again and again and again. Okay, so move your chairs, get into your groups. All right, so let's, let's chat about these. If you're facing the other way, kind of turn so you can sort of see this way. So we're going to start on that half of the room. Um, we're in John 5, 19 to 20, or to 30 uh, there. Let me read it real quick so that those who are working on the other side can hear it, okay? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse 19, the son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And then verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so let's just start with the repetition question. What did you guys, what types of things did you hear being repeated from these groups? All right, I'm going to, did you discuss this passage? All right. You, well, I'll get to you on your passage, okay? That side of the room, what things are rep- repeated? What did you write down? Just anything. Shout it out. The Father and the Son. Okay, so we've got a lot of Father and we've got a lot of Son language, okay? Judgment. Judgment, good. What else? Truly, truly. Yeah, we've got that truly, truly phrase is being repeated, okay? Anything else? Huh? Honor. Honor comes up. Yep. Showing and hearing. Okay. Showing. Hearing. All right. There's one more that I am thinking of. So can you just read my mind and say what I'm thinking? That'd be great. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to take one of those words. He talks about dead. He talks about death. And he talks about life. Death and life come up a couple times, okay? Now, the very first thing I want you to hear is, do you remember what I said at the beginning about how God works on the Sabbath? And what what types of things does God do on the Sabbath? He judges. And what other things does he do on the Sabbath? He gives... what What happened to Nathan on the Sabbath? He gives life. Okay? So when we read the Jewish theologians, we see that these are two things that they latched onto. God judges and God gives life on the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus talks about how he's equal to the Father, he talks about how he is being given the authority to give life and to execute judgment in who he is. So he's drawing these these clear connections between his role and God's role. So how would you guys answer the question, is Jesus equal with God? What is is he saying in answer to this question? How does Jesus help us? Well, I know we're going to end up saying yes, but I feel like some of the passage almost says no. Okay. He's not equal. Because he says, the son can do nothing of his own accord. And then, while well, the Father, it says that the Father does show him all that he's doing, he also says that there's greater works that he hasn't revealed to him yet. Yeah. So. so, right off the bat, we're challenged with maybe a different definition of what it means to be equal than we might think of, right? We might think, well, if you were equal, you get to both do the same thing all the time, you have access to all the same information, and that's not what Jesus is saying here. So, Jesus, in saying he's equal with God, I'm going to use this word, he's going to say that Jesus 
Um, well, let's use his language. The son is subordinate to the father. Now, as I've taught on the Trinity down through my years, people are like, I've always heard people say, this just sounds so wacky, like, where do we find this? Where is this? This chapter is a huge part of the Trinity. We're talking about how the Father and the Son interact with each other. And one of the things that is helpful for us is most of us, when we learn about the Trinity, we don't go much further than three people, one God. That's the Trinity. But there's more going on than just three equaling one. Jesus is saying, in the Trinity, here's how it works. The Father is in charge. And everything the Son does, He does in subordination to the Father. He does it in perfect obedience to the Father. But does He at any point say, no, 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 we're not equal? He doesn't say that. He's just saying, here's how our equal status works in the Trinity. I do everything the Father says. Now, isn't it interesting that He's chosen the language of Father and Son? Because if He's going to use... He's not going to say, like, the boss and the servant. He, he had all sorts of analogies he could have used, right? So he says, the father and the son, because that is clearly communicating what we would expect. Would you expect a father and a son for the son sometimes to make the decisions and sometimes for the father to make the decisions? No, the father's the one who's leading and the son is listening and following. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here about his relationship with God. So it's like a father and son, and Jesus, every single thing that Jesus does is in obedience to God. He's doing exactly as God wants him to do. God makes the calls, he's the father. But God is also showing him everything he's doing. So two of the things that God does is he judges and he gives life. These are clearly things that only God can do. And yet we're seeing God in his headship handing these to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm putting these in your hands to take care of. And Jesus is doing it perfectly in obedience to God. So we're going to see how Jesus gives life just in a couple of chapters. Who is Jesus going to give life to? Lazarus. Lazarus, yeah, right? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. We're going to see how he has the authority to give life. Um, and then we're also going to see how he does it in the hearts of those who are believing in him and following him throughout the entire book of John. Okay, any other things that pop out about Jesus telling us how this works, how it works that Jesus is equal with God? All right, here, let me sum up kind of my understanding of it. Is Jesus equal to God? Yes, but he is not equal like he's another god or he's a competing god or he's you know they're sharing like you do half i do half he's equal in the sense that he is god's son god has given him divine responsibilities because he is divine like judging and giving life but everything he does he does under the father and that's why let's look at verse 30 again real quick that's why i think verse 30 is best taken with what just came I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
this is just further explanation of Jesus saying, I only do what God tells me to do. Judgment. I, I'm still talking about judgment. It goes with what comes before it, okay? So if Jesus is equal to God, here's the takeaway. If Jesus is equal to God, you can't reject Jesus and still follow God. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That's where that word honor comes in, right? He says about honoring. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Okay, so you, you can't say you follow God, but reject Jesus. And does that happen a lot in our world nowadays? Are there people who say they follow God, but have rejected Jesus? Yes. Entire religions are based on that. Okay? This is a very big deal. Okay, so let's jump to the next passage. Is this a self-made claim? All right? Seems like Jesus is shifting gears a little bit. What do we hear repeated throughout the second passage? Witness. Oh, wait, sorry. Yes, witness is great. I didn't even read it yet for the other people, so. But you're right, that is the main one. So let me read that real quick. Amber, you're great. Right on board. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now, keep in mind that in Greek, the word witness and testimony are the same word, okay? So bear witness and testimony, same word. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that it is in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so repetition, we've got kicked off. Witness is the big one, right? That's the one that keeps coming up. Witness, testimony. Is this a self-made claim? Jesus is going to talk about, well, let me tell you who bears testimony about me, who witnesses to my position. What else is repeated? Do you hear any other words in there? Believe? Yeah, believe comes up a bunch of times. Anything else? Yeah? Uh, just in regards to, like, I don't know if this is important, just he's speaking with the tone of authority, so he says, I a lot, and he's talking to you, so I and you. Okay, yeah. So this is a clearly, Jesus is talking about real relationship. Talk, tell him about me, 
talking about where you guys are at. And we're going to get to that at the end here too. All right, so based on some of these things, is this, what is Jesus saying? What's his answer? Is this a self-made claim? Is he saying, yep, I'm just, you just got to believe me. I'm from God. I, I really don't have much uh, evidence, but it's just, just me here. Is that what he's saying? He's backing it up, all right? So tell me how he's backing it up. What backs up Jesus' claim? What bears witness about Jesus? Yeah, Noah? Okay, so John the Baptist. So we've heard about John the Baptist and John. We saw how John himself says, I am the one who testifies to these things. I bear witness to Jesus. Good. What else is referenced in this chapter or this verse or paragraph? What else bears witness? In 39, it says that um, scripture bears witness. Okay, so scripture. That's huge. Bears witness. Okay, and what else bears witness? Okay, Moses bears witness. These actually go together. I'll explain in just a sec. There's one other big one that says in there. The very works that he's doing. Okay, my works. Bear witness, okay? Now, the point that Jesus is making here, ultimately, is this. <laughs> Who bears witness that Jesus is sent from God? Well, God bears witness that he's been sent from God, okay? He says... John the Baptist said I was coming, and you guys loved listening to John the Baptist. You went out, and you kind of were like, this guy's kind of intriguing. He's interesting. But then Jesus ends that little section by saying, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. So, yeah, I'm just saying John the Baptist bore witness, but I'm not saying this is what's going to convince you. Let me tell you what's really going to convince you. Scripture bears witness about me. So picture this, the religious authorities, they were masters of scripture. And for them, scripture was the Old Testament. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when we talk about Moses here, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible. So what the Jewish leaders are trying to do is they're trying to take Moses and say, we have a choice, follow Jesus or follow the Bible. That's, that's, that's what they're saying here. And Jesus is saying, You're, you got it all wrong. Because Moses, the Bible, the Old Testament, he is pointing to me. The Jewish leaders had it all wrong. They thought that Moses, when he wrote the law, that salvation was in the law. That if we follow these laws, this is how we get close to God. But if we read the Old Testament and we read it in its fullness we see very clearly that the whole point of this was to show that we can't follow God by obeying the law because we can't obey the law. So they've given their whole lives to obeying the law and the whole purpose of the law was to point us to someone who had come and save us from the law. That we can't keep it, we need a savior. And who wrote it that way? God wrote it that way. So Jesus is saying, you guys are really messed up. Scripture points to me. And not only that, but my works. So here we're talking about back over here. It's referring back here. I am going to give life to people. 
eternal life. I'm going to raise them from the dead and then I'm going to give them eternal life. There are works that he's going to do that are going to be given judgment that only God does. So my works are pointing to the fact that God sent me. And he's already doing them. Miracles, healing people, okay? So at the end of the day, is this a self-made claim? Definitely not. God is pointing that Jesus is the one who is sent from him. Now our passage ends, I'm going to go through this quickly, with five indictments against the leaders, four indictments against the religious leaders, okay? And I'll just summarize them for you really quick. Indictment number one, he says, this is where the you's and the I's come in. He says, you have never heard nor seen God and his word is not abiding in you. Now, the reason that this is an indictment and is here are religious leaders who have grown up studying the law, probably have memorized huge portions, maybe even whole books of the law. And he says, you don't even have God's word in you. That's crazy. But what he's saying, what we've already heard from John is in the beginning was the word, word right? And who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the word. And what Jesus is saying is, you will never know God until you know me. You don't get God without Jesus. So I know you religious leaders don't really know the God you claim to know because you don't recognize him in the works done by the one standing right in front of you. That's indictment number one. You reject Jesus, you reject God. And then, verses 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So you have searched and memorized and studied and given your whole lives over to studying scripture, and you miss the huge point that they're pointing you to somebody else who's coming to save you from your sins. So Moses' law was never meant to save you. It was to show you your sinfulness and your inability to keep it and point you to a Savior who is coming. But you are rejecting this Savior. And then indictment number three, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Here's my best crack at this one. I think what Jesus is saying is this. You are looking for and attracted to the wrong type of person. The people that you celebrate, religious leaders, totally the wrong people. You follow people who come to make themselves look great. And you follow people who come to make you look great. And you don't follow the one who has come to make God look great. That's, that's the whole point here. Notice how Jesus, he's not going, oh, yeah, I'm the son, you know. I've got, look at the divine stuff I do. He's saying, I'm like a son to the father. You know, every single thing I do, I just do it because God tells me to do it. I'm, I'm in perfect obedience to God. When you look at me, my whole purpose is to point you to God. But that's not what they're looking for. The religious leaders like people who go like this, you know, the athletes who slam dunk and slam their chest, not the athlete who goes into the end zone and kneels and points to heaven and jogs off the field. That's not very exciting. You're looking at the wrong guys. And then indictment, last one, 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, of whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So at this end one, he's saying, the one you are hoping in, Moses, is actually condemning you. If you actually knew what Moses is saying, if you actually understood the Bible that you are an expert on, you would realize that Moses was pointing to me. So it's not Moses versus Jesus. It's Jesus and Moses versus the religious leaders. Okay? That's clearly the line that he's drawing here. All right, so to wrap up, is Jesus equal with God? You bet he is. But he's equal as an obedient son who's been given divine responsibilities by his father. Is Jesus making self-made claims? Definitely not. God is backing him up with miracles by giving him power over life and over judgment. And he is showing in all that he's doing and through fulfilling scripture that he is equal with God, that he is God. And the proper response, you Jewish leaders, well, here's the proper response. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes in him, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you want to get to God, you have to go through Jesus. That's the point. Let's pray, and we'll be done for today. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this word, and we thank you for, um, Lord, that it is just uh, living water to us, the words of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us wisdom to understand your word and diligence to apply it. And uh, I pray in particular for our students today that you would help them to develop the discipline that they apply in their music, that they apply in their schoolwork, that they apply in their athletics, and that they would apply it to their Bibles, that you would help them to dig deep in their Bibles and to ask questions and to seek truth and to drink from the well of your scriptures so that they would know you and follow you. And Lord, we pray that we would know Jesus and in Jesus Christ that we would see the Father as Jesus has so shown us we will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.